I'm going to pray, and then we'll dive on in. <clears throat> uh, Father, we thank you. Thank you that you uh, love us. Thank you that you, um, yeah, you're so good to us that I pray, Jesus, that you would help us this morning. Uh, we would see you more beautifully. Uh, we'd see you more clearly, uh, that you would change our hearts, that you would speak to us where we need um, encouragement, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, where we need conviction. Uh, we need to, to turn back to you and to see you and, and, and love you and enjoy you more fully. Uh, so we uh, just thank you for, for brothers and sisters uh, across the world that we uh, worship the same king, the king over all things, the king um, of the universe, Jesus. That's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, about four months ago, uh, my wife turned 30 years old. So um, we usually for a birthday, we try to get away for one night. And I surprised her by taking her away for a night to Palm Springs. You guys ever heard of Palm Springs? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it's it's like a desert, but somehow it's in the middle of nowhere, but it's been become cool. Uh, and it's very hot out there. Uh, it gets to about 120 degrees Fahrenheit, so I don't know the translation there, sorry. <clears throat> um, during the summer, very, very hot, but just a cool place to go. Um, they've kind of done the uptown or, or the downtown area, just unbelievable coffee shops, great bars, great restaurants, great just everything, and it's a fun place to go hang out. So um, my wife was turning 30, and I surprised her. I had her mom come over to the house to watch the kids for the night, and uh, we left about Friday morning around 10 a.m. and drove over to Palm Springs and surprised her and had this cool hotel we were staying at and had the whole afternoon planned. We went, got great lunch. We had sushi for dinner, um, walked around, had some ice. She's dairy-free, gluten-free because of allergies. There was an ice cream shop that was dairy-free that made some of the greatest stuff. That I don't know how they do it, but it tasted real, um, and, and she enjoyed it a ton. Gave her a massage that night. We'll stop there. Um, just, just, but it was, it was just a wonderful day, uh, celebrating her 30th, like at dinner, I sat and I encouraged her, encouraged her, told her like how much I love her, um, what I have seen God do in her life over the last year and just really celebrated her really well. Um, went to bed that night, just so grateful and so excited uh, about life and, um, just thank you Jesus for my wife and, and, and all these things. And the next morning woke up and, um, we were getting ready to go out by the pool and she began kind of packing up my stuff and, and I hadn't really gotten ready yet. Uh, and so, um, I said a, a bit sharply, Hey, I can pack my own stuff up. And she, she, she looks at me, uh, kind of hesitating. like, oh, okay, everything all right? She's like, yeah, just, I, I haven't gotten ready yet. And you're like putting all my stuff away. She's like, Oh, okay. I'm like, sorry. Okay. Um, and, and walk from the bathroom, uh, get ready and then go out to the pool. And then we get out to this pool. There's like two huge pools. So we have a choice to make between which pool are we going to go sit at. And as I, I walk out, I, I glance real quick and there's someone cleaning this pool with a loud vacuum. Um, and then this one is like empty, uh, and, and good to, to go at. And my wife was kind of in front and she starts walking this way. And I just, I said, Hey, are you going to go by like the loud vacuum guy? And she turns around and is like, what are you, why, why are you speaking to me that way? I was like, 
no, I, I mean, come on. Like, it's like, like, there's two options and that one is clearly the wrong option. Like, what? no, sorry. I'm just, no, I just, you know, just messing around. You know, uh, let's go, let's go over here. And, and she, she's starting to shut down a little bit. Just kind of like, like, what is wrong with you? And all of a sudden I'm, I'm kind of like, what is wrong with me? Um, and, and then we, we get ready and to get out of there. It was only a one night thing. And, Hop in the car, and we're trying to figure out what to what to do, um, listen to, and and I like audiobooks, and we decided upon the same audiobook that we'd listened to on the way home. And she was on my audiobook app, and she couldn't find it, and she was like, "I can't find it on here." And, and, and I sharply said, "Did you search the author's name?" And she and she said, I, "I've had enough." She closes her eyes and falls asleep for the two-hour drive home. And I'm driving feeling awful, feeling confused, feeling like this shouldn't be happening. This, is, this was a great, like, this was a good, do I need to remind her? I surprised her. For, do you remember yesterday how amazing that was? Like, what is wrong with you? And what's, actually, what's, what's wrong with me? Like, why is this so difficult to love? And as I, I began praying, as she's reclined her seat and sleeps, as I'm self-righteously, it's like trying to defend myself, but then just kind of giving it over to Jesus and just saying, I'm sorry, I don't know what's, what is wrong with me? And, and I felt like Jesus was gracious in that moment um, to reveal that, that Friday night, even though it was a great day and night, um, the vast majority of that was even done in my flesh. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed that, but like on birthdays, it, it's almost easy to love people. You know, like with a family member, when it's their birthday, you're like, you just get grace today. But what happens is when you do that in your flesh, not really empowered by the Spirit of God, you wake up exhausted the next day. And I, I found out that I, I was exhausted the next day because what I had done that whole Friday was just pour myself out. Gave her what she deserved. And the next morning I woke up, felt very entitled. Felt very much like, all right, she had her special day. Now today's, today's back to normal. <laughs> What I struggled with was realizing that, that I am not very good at loving. And this was about four months ago, and God, in his grace, just, just spoke to me and said, I want to grow you in love. See, I, 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 I can have the tendency of thinking too highly of myself in quite a few areas. Um, if you were to sit down and ask me questions about church leadership, I would have you covered. If you'd ask me questions about time management and efficiency, I will help you reading Christian books, reading any type of book. I'm, I'm there. I love reading. I, morning Devo times, spending time reading the scriptures, prayer. I, I do that really well. Yet I feel like I am a toddler when it comes to loving people. And what's fascinating is, is I've been reading the scriptures over and over and over the last four months. All I'm noticing is that this is God's call for his people. It's to love. It is to love. So if you've got your Bible, jump over to Matthew chapter 22. I want to dive into a passage. We're going to be kind of all over today, but I want us to spend um, uh, some time looking at a passage that if you've been in the church for any time, you will have heard this verse. You will have heard this often. Um, you probably have it memorized, but, but, but myself included had it memorized. It felt so far from it. It's Matthew chapter 22, verse 34. Um, this is toward the end of Jesus' life. And, and if you know anything about the gospel accounts, that each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they kind of start off where Jesus generally has the, the favor of 
people. And then as the stories continue, you find that people are not as excited about him, specifically the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And and in Matthew 22, what we see is that they're trying to trap Jesus. They've had enough of Jesus. Jesus is kind of turning everything upside down. Everything that they built, Jesus is flipping it upside down, and they're over it. They want him dead. And and so in Matthew 22, they, they're coming to test him. They're trying to trap him and show that he is not as awesome as, as, as others might think he is. So Matthew 22, verse 34 says this. But when the Pharisees, some of the religious leaders, heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, the, another group of, of Jewish religious leaders, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if you know anything about the, the Old Testament, the, 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 the scriptures, the law that, that Jesus was working with, that Jesus as a Jew would have studied and memorized much of and known deeply and spent most of his life enjoying, there are 613 commands. And there was always debate around which was number one. If you could summarize 613 commands, or you try to list them out, prioritizing from one to 613, what order would they be in? And this is the question that a lawyer, an expert in the law of God, asks Jesus. Hey, hey, prove yourself, teacher, rabbi. What, what do you think is number one? Obviously, 613 is a lot. Tell us what's the main thing. What do we need to do? And Jesus says, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. Did, did the lawyer ask what are the top two? No. What's number one? What's the greatest? Jesus cannot stop at number one. He moves on to number two. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On this, the law and the prophets hang. Meaning if you want to summarize the law, in one command, love God and love people. Similar if you were to ask me, like, which one of your kids is your favorite? It's like, both. <laughs> Micah and Emma. Depends on the minute, but generally both. <laughs> right? Like, like I, I love them both. I can't answer that question. In the same way Jesus asked, what's number one? He goes, I can't really answer that question. It's, it's both. It's loving God and loving people. So what I want to do today is, is what I've found over the last few months is I, I know that passage. I, I imagine most of you have heard it. Most of you know it. Um, none of that is a shock to you. But, but what does it actually look like? And I think I've spent too much of my Christian life with that love word up in the clouds. That it's actually been very difficult for me to define. It's been very difficult for me to walk in because it's just kind of up there. And I'll be honest, if I had to admit what the main thing that has prevented a lot of love is that I have really believed that being nice is the same thing as being loving. And I think there's a huge difference. 
And I think that if we see being nice as the same as being loving, that we will fall into the same trap that I've fallen into for much of my life. I love my parents deeply, but they, they never really taught my brothers and I to love well. They just taught us to be nice. That was the main command in the home. Be nice. Be nice. You know, or you're arguing. Stop arguing. Be nice to one another. There, there was never a call to love one another actively. The call was to be nice and stop being mean. And they got exactly what they wanted. My brothers and I are actually really nice to each other. But the sad thing is we don't love each other much and we don't see each other much. We don't talk with each other much. We don't argue anymore. But we don't have a loving relationship because we never had love at the beginning. It was just avoid being mean to each other. And the easiest way to avoid being mean to others is to back away from them. And oftentimes what we count as niceness is just a smile is not what Jesus has actually commanded us in an active love. Maybe to help it, it, articulate this, I think that um, sometimes we, we just think oh, the opposite of being mean is love, right? So imagine this. Imagine that you come to me and uh, you maybe just had a baby like three or four weeks ago. And uh, I see you in the hall or I see you out in the coffee shop and I'm like, hey, how are you? And you're like, not good. We just had a baby. I haven't slept in like three weeks. House is mess. We're eating just, you know, microwavable food. And it's just been, it's been hard. Uh, it's been really hard. <clears throat> Let, let's look at three different responses to that, right? There's a mean, re- mean response. Be like, probably shouldn't have had a kid, huh? <laughs> sounds like, sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> Clean your house. And uh, yeah, we'll see you later. Like, like here's, I don't think anyone does that, right? I, 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 like, like, very few people in the entire world would answer that way. But here's the nice answer. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. That sounds tough. I'll be praying for you. Um, let me know if you need anything. Just text me. Like, if you need anything, just let me know. All right, I got to go. Bye. That's nice, right? Way different than being mean. This is really nice, but I don't think this is really loving. What would a loving answer, what would a loving response probably look like to that scenario? It would probably be stop, be looking them in the eyes, listening to what's actually happening, being able to sympathize with a sleepless night, a messy house, a chaotic lifestyle right now. And then actively helping. Hey, hey, can I can I bring you dinner tonight? I'm so sorry. That is so hard. I know what I'm like when I don't have sleep. It's messy. I'd love to bring you dinner tonight. I'd love to maybe hold the baby for 30 minutes if I could just to give you a little bit of a break. And maybe we could get our life group just to bring meals for like four or five nights in a row if that would help. Would that help? Yeah? Okay. Uh, can I pray for you right now? We just sit. I'm, I'm late to a meeting, but let me just sit real quick and just pray real quick for you. I'm so sorry. See how different those, those are? Nice and love. And I think oftentimes we sit in the nice camp. Like we don't punch the person in the face. We, we, you know, we say stuff like, hey, let me know if I can help specifically. It's like they told you they needed help. But we put a burden back on them, you know, like, hey, you let me know if there's anything you need. All right, you good? Cool? No? I know you're not good, but I got to go. <laughs> right? So, so, so what I want to do is just look at a few stories of Jesus. 
just quick glimpses. I'm not going to unpack all the stories, but I'm convinced that Jesus is the greatest lover. And as, as we look at him, we'll be able to learn what does love actually look like practically. Run over to Mark chapter 10. If you've got a Bible, it'll be on the screen. These few stories are going to help us really see what it looks like to love people well. Because I think that is what Jesus was getting at when he's answering the great commandment. This was one of the biggest problems with the religious leaders. They talked a big talk about their love for God. And Jesus goes, enough about the talking. Let me see your love for God by the way you love people. I mean, isn't it interesting? Like, like you don't know me that well. I could tell you how much I love God. I could just, you guys, I love God so much. When I think about him, I just I get choked up. And you could go, wow, that guy loves God. And Jesus is saying, I'll see how much he loves God by the way he loves people. Because the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders would do that. Oh, we love God. Look, we're praying out on the corner. We love him so much. And Jesus sees the way that they don't love people and goes, you're liars. You're a fraud. If you loved God, you'd love people. You cannot separate the two. The greatest command is, is one, love God and love people. So, so one of the first things that we see Jesus doing is the way that he looks at people. The way he sees people. So Mark chapter 10 verse 17 says this. And as Jesus was setting out on his journey, which I think is important, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus Looking at him, not a throwaway line at all. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I think one of the most important thing that we see throughout the gospel accounts of Jesus loving people is that before Jesus loves people, he sees people. He looks at people. Verse 17 said he was on his way out of town. He, he had somewhere to go. And someone comes run, running up to him and he doesn't go, sorry dude, I'm busy, I gotta go. He stops. He looks at him, loves him, and answers. Love always comes with looking. And I am convinced that one of the most, the, the, one of the biggest things that prevents us from loving people is that we're always in a hurry. We're busy. We've got stuff to do. It is impossible to love well when we are always in a hurry, when we're always busy, when we're always texting, when we're always emailing, when we're always late, when we're always going. Jesus loves by looking. I, I do. I idolize. I tend to idolize efficiency, productivity, getting things done. I've got a schedule. I work out my whole day. I'm going to wake up at this time. I'm going to go to sleep at this time. And every hour is filled. I have a journal literally that tracks my hours of my day. 
And the whole goal is to not have any blank space. That I, I'm keeping track of my time. And of course, there's a Bible verse, you know, that we should make the best use of our time. So I, I use that, a, a legalistic principle, in order to avoid people. And Paul Miller, in his phenomenal book that's influenced me deeply for this, called Love Walked Among Us, he says this, love is not efficient. And I love being efficient. And it prevents me from loving well. Because I'm, when someone comes up to me and I'm on my way out, it's like, dude, you're not in the schedule, Sorry. This is your problem, not mine. You, you, didn't, you didn't plan this. So my lack of love is often rooted in my efficiency, in my productivity. Jesus slows down. He has time for people because he doesn't book every minute of his day. He actually has space in his day. I've read tons of productivity books and most productivity books make it sound like people are a problem. They're, ultimately, if you really want to be productive, don't have meetings. Don't see anyone because they ruin everything. In productivity and efficiency books, people are an obstacle to overcome. For Jesus, people are the mission. They they don't get in the way. They're not a distraction. They're the whole point. Because he sees them. He looks at them. He slows down to make eye contact with them. But not only does he see them, he feels what they feel. John 11, one of the most remarkable stories. If you got your Bible, verse 28. This is after Jesus' close friend Lazarus dies. It says, we're kind of picking up in the middle of the story just for the the sake of time, but uh, Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, who just lost their brother, are are very sad, as you can imagine. And um, as Jesus is talking to the sisters, Verse 28 picks up, says, when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary. So Martha went to go call her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher's here and he's calling you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come to the, into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her, saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. Loving people doesn't mean just seeing them, but it means feeling what they feel. Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But but Mary and Martha didn't know that yet. If I were Jesus, I'd show up into the scene and be like, hey, quiet, stop crying. I'm going to raise your brother from the dead. Hold on. And just talk at them. Jesus doesn't do that. He shows up and he sees people. He listens to people. And then he empathizes with people. It is impossible to feel what people feel when all we do is talk at people. We need to become people who listen. Jesus listened. If there was ever someone who never needed to listen, it'd be Jesus. He's Jesus. He's the son of God. The the moment anyone begins talking to him, he could be like, I'm God. 
Just what do you, like, what are you possibly going to say to me right now? Like, I'm God. Shouldn't you be listening to me? Instead, he listens to people. He sees people. He slows down. And because he slows down and he listens to people, he feels what people feel and he enters into their sadness. Over the last few months, I've been trying to do this, to actually listen rather than just talk. I'm a preacher. I'm, I'm just a talker. It's so easy for me to sit down with somebody and they say one thing. I'm like, all right, you have 45 minutes? Let me work out all your problems. As opposed to listen for 45 minutes and then be able to give some help in that. But over the last few months, I can genuinely say I've cried more for other people than I have in my entire life. Because I'm trying my best to actually enter into their sadness rather than try to work up an answer for them. A friend of mine recently told me that her mom had just straight up told her after a long conversation, I don't love you anymore. I began weeping for her. And I, I was like, as I'm crying, I, I was surprised. I was like, whoa, this isn't my mom. This is her mom. But it was because I was being quiet and listening and enter into that story where she wasn't even crying. I was like, whoa, God, you're changing me. You're changing me to care about other people, to enter into their sadness rather than see that as their problem. Oh, that's a bummer. So sorry, let me know if you need anything. I'm late for a meeting. I can enter into the sadness. I can enter into what would it be like if my mom looked me in the eyes and said, I don't love you anymore. Jesus enters into the sadness. See, the reality is that the only way we're ever going to be able to love people this way, to be able to slow down and feel what people feel, is that we understand that Jesus, our great high priest, even empathizes with us. I mean, don't we often have such a, a, a poor view of Jesus that he's this robot in the sky? That like when you're praying even or you're struggling with sin or something that he's just like, come on, stop it. Stop your tears. I'm God. I'm in control. Hebrews 4 tells us that he's a great empathetic high priest who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. That when you're sad, he doesn't say stop being sad. He relates to you in your sadness. He goes, I know what it's like to be sad. When you're hurt, when you're wrestling with sin, though he was without sin, he knows what it's like to be tempted. He meets us in our weaknesses. He empathizes with us. And as we encounter that empathy from Jesus, we're able to give it to others. If you think Jesus is a cold, distant robot in the sky, you will be a cold, distant robot here on earth. So we see people by slowing down. We feel what people feel by listening. And the next thing is that we love people by speaking truth. John chapter 3, kind of a famous chapter with Jesus with Nicodemus. You might know John 3.16, but we're not going to read all of that. <clears throat> we're going to start in John 3 verse 1. Watch how Jesus speaks truth in love. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Say, dude with a lot of authority, a lot of power. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Okay, we may not just read the rest, but listen to this. Nicodemus, a man in power, a man with authority, 
Jesus has been having some issues with the Pharisees and Sadducees. This guy comes at nighttime and goes, hey, Jesus, you're pretty amazing. (laughs) Wow. We know that you're doing some real good stuff. We are just shocked by it. If I were Jesus, I'd be like, finally, somebody gets it. Thank you, Nicodemus. (sighs) Thank you. Jesus takes a compliment, peers into his soul and goes, actually, you need to be born again. He, he, he doesn't just sit in the compliment. Jesus doesn't just need love. He gives love because he's filled up with the Father's love. He can speak truth into a situation because he cares more about Nicodemus than he cares about himself in the moment. Oftentimes we care too much about ourselves and not enough about other people. So, so we need to be filled up with compliments. We're afraid to speak truth. I mean, do you know how hard it is to speak hard truths to someone who just complimented you? It's hard enough to speak hard truths when people are mean to you. But someone goes, hey, I need to tell you, you're amazing. You're like, actually, I need to tell you something. You're not. <laughs> but I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. See, love isn't just, I love you, let's cry together. Love is also, hey, I see some things in your life and you need help here. Can I, can I lovingly come alongside you and point these out? I've had two members of my family in the last six months nearly die from alcohol. Both of them addicted to alcohol, struggling with alcohol. It would actually be unloving for me just to come around them and hug them and just cry and go like, ah, I can't imagine. We've done that in the hospital. I'm so sorry that you're here. But when we're out of the hospital, what is loving for me to do is come alongside them and go, hey, um, this is killing you. What's going on in your heart? I love you too much to let you keep drinking. Jesus speaks truth because truth is love. He doesn't just hug and cry. He peers into the soul because he's looked and he's seen and he's slowed down long enough to see what we actually need. And he speaks that truth into our lives. This may be harder for some of us than the other parts. Some of you are like, yeah, I, I cry with people all the time. I know what it's like to love well. But your fear and your cowardice keeps you from actually speaking truth to people that need it. Jesus was never afraid of speaking hard truths because he loved people. Like sometimes we think, oh, he wasn't being very loving there when he's rebuking the Pharisees. No, that was his love. His love rebuked the Pharisees. Sometimes you need to raise your voice in order for someone to hear them, in order for them to hear you. And Jesus did that with us. And he continues to do that over us. He speaks truth over us. When you're in your sin, Jesus doesn't just cry over you. He calls you out of it. The cross is the most clear picture of his love and his truth in the same moment. Jesus did not just show up and be like, hey guys, everything's fine here. It wasn't fine. We were all rebellious against God. We were all dead in our sins. We needed help even though we didn't see it. Jesus lovingly comes to earth and goes, there's a problem here. I'm going to fix it. But I need you to know that you're not okay the way you are. And the cross is the biggest proof of that. On the cross, he's saying, this is what your sin did. Your sin is not to be taken lightly. Your sin is going to kill me. But he also spoke the truth of his love that I'm willing to do this for you. I want you. Your rebellion against me 
has not been okay. I love you too much to let you go. So he speaks the truths into these moments. I had to do this about two years ago in a, in a very difficult way. Um, there was a, a man in our church who, uh, a little bit older and maybe one of the more influential people in our entire area, business owner, wealthy, um, and had been coming to our church and you just would sing my praises. He, he would... He came for about six months, and he was, he was like, Brad's the best preacher. And I was like, come on, tell me more, right? Um, and, and he would just talk to me and tell other people. I would overhear him talking to other people about, you've got to come to Restored Church. This church is amazing. The preaching's amazing. The teaching's amazing. You've got to come. And I'd be like, oh, it feels so good. But after a little while, um, he hadn't been put into leadership because I had noticed that a couple of areas in his life that I, I just wasn't stoked on. And so he sat me down. and was like, hey, why am I not a leader yet? Why haven't you asked me to preach yet? He had preached at other churches. He was known for, he loves Jesus and all these things. And, and, and I had a moment where I was very scared, but, but lovingly spoke truth into his life. He's 30 years older than I. But in that moment, what would have been wrong for me was just to hug him, love him, be like, you're up next Sunday. Because I love you. And so I actually had to hard, speak hard truths into his life and say, hey, actually, I see these three areas that are preventing you from being really a leader in our church. And I, and I know that's hard, um, but, but, but do you see any of that? And, and, and he said, Let me, I'll chew on it. A week later, we got coffee, and he said, Hey, I'm leaving the church. You're wrong, and I'm leaving the church. And, and I was struggling. I was going, Oh, I didn't love him well, right? Because he's not happy with me, so I must not have loved him well. That's not true. People weren't happy with Jesus all the time, even though he loved them perfectly well. The beautiful part of that story is three months ago, he came back. He came back and said, I was wrong. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I've seen these areas in my life over the last year and a half. I want to thank you for speaking that truth into my life. No one has done that for me. Cool. (laughs) Doesn't always happen. But it was love that led me to speak that truth into his life. Who in your life needs to hear that truth? Not from an arrogant, I'm better than you, I'm self-righteous, so you need to hear my truth. But I come alongside you and go, hey, I'm seeing a few areas in your life, right? Jesus says, take the speck, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. That we're humbly doing this, speaking the truth in love. And the last thing, we'll close with this, is that genuine love, it serves. It does act. Matthew chapter 14. Right before uh, what we're going to read in verse 1 to 12, um, Matthew tells the story of how John the Baptist was killed. Uh, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, and John the Baptist was kind of the forerunner uh, of Jesus and, and kind of pointing to Jesus, and Herod ended up killing John the Baptist. And Jesus just hears this news that his cousin has been killed. Verse 13, Matthew 14. It says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So think about that. He just heard news of his cousin murdered for really speaking truth to power to Herod. Jesus is probably aware that he might be next. So he gets away. He just needs to be alone for a little bit. He, does, he goes to a deserted area. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Have you ever been there in a spot where you're just like, I just need to get alone. 
just need to be alone for a little bit. Jesus is doing that. He's going, I just received really bad news. I need to get alone. As he goes to be alone, the crowds follow him. If there's ever a moment for Jesus to go, go away, you needy people. I just need to be alone for a bit. He goes alone and as he sees people, he, he sees them. He has compassion on them and he serves them. He heals them and then ultimately feeds them. This is what Jesus does. Love doesn't just think nice thoughts. It serves. It's active. It helps. It doesn't say, hey, let me know what I can do. It loves enough to think through things. What can I do for them? How can I actively love these people? It serves deeply. And this is why Jesus says in Mark 10, I did not come to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. The only way that you and I are going to actually be able to serve others well and to put others before ourselves is that we see first that Jesus has served us. He didn't show up as a king sitting in a castle saying, come on, serve me. He came as a king from heaven to earth and laid his life down for us. He says, this is how I'm going to love you. It's ultimately by going to the cross, dying for your own sins. He didn't come and just teach and say nice things and feel nice thoughts. He laid his life down. He served to the point of death. This is the love that Jesus invites us into. And if you're any bit self-aware, you should probably be like, this is impossible. And friends, it is apart from him really giving you that love. John Piper defines love this way. He says that love is the overflow of joy in God that meets the needs of others. That in order for me to be able to meet your need, I need to be filled up with the love of God. This is why 1 John says that we love because he first loved us. Our ability to love always starts with the fact that we're responding to a loving king. We don't love people and then looking be like, do you love me now, God? No, we look and we receive his love so that we can love. Brennan Manning famously said and constantly said, God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. It's sitting in that daily, knowing that he loves me right now, not a future version of me, not a past version of me, but through the cross of Jesus Christ. He loves me now that overflows my soul so that I can love you where you're at now. Not a future version of you, not a past version of you, but the you right now. Your family member right now. Your friend, your coworker, your neighbor right now. Not when they clean themselves up. But, but now when they need help, this is the love that God invites us into. One of the practical ways I've been doing this over the last three to four months is called kneeling prayer. Three times a day, I stop, I kneel, and I pray. It helps just reignite my body and my soul into the mission of what God has called me into. In the, in the morning, first thing I do is I kneel and I pray, Father, thank you for loving me as I am, not as I should be. In order to love people today, I need to receive your love. Thank you that you love me as I am, not as I should be, that you've adopted me as your dearly loved child. Would you help me extend your love today? Midday around lunch, I, I kneel again. If I can't, because I'm in a coffee shop or something and I don't want to look too awkward, I just open my hands where I sit. Spirit of love, would you fill me up again? 
I'm already empty. It's been four or five hours. I'm exhausted. Would you fill me up again with your love? Not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And then in the evening, I kneel at my bed and I just go, Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your love and your grace that's empowered my obedience and love for you today. And thank you for your mercy and forgiveness over my disobedience where I failed you today. Thank you that you still love me the same. It's this re-engagement with him, receiving his love that leads us into love. Because this is all he's asked of us. This is it. How easy it is to be good at the other 4,000 things he's asked of us. He goes, no, 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 all I care about is this. So often we're like, but what about this? He's like, love me and love others. Love me and love others. That's what everything else hinges on. Would we be a people who know and experience his love for us now so that we would go out into Durban and be lovers of people where they are now? Let's pray. Father, thank you. As it's been said before, that your love does not find us, it creates us. God, that you you don't look in a room like this and go, who's the most loving person that I can add to my team? Your love creates in us a loving heart. That when we experience your love and we understand that we are loved where we're at, that we now can respond in love for you and for your people. That's what we were made to do. Just this morning, kept being reminded of First John that your commands are not burdensome. If I'm honest, oftentimes I do. I believe your commands are heavy, they're burdensome. But Father, would you show us today that even as we step out in love, that we find joy and freedom living in your love, living as we were created to be, bringing joy and love to this world, Lord. We thank you for your mercy over us. We thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.